Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Good, good morning, and uh, welcome to Calvary Chapel. We're glad to have you, and uh, if glad to have you back, actually. So, um, if this is this anybody's first week back from church, first week back, quite quite a few people, man. First week back, awesome, awesome. That is cool. That is cool. Um, you know, it, it's been an interesting time, as I talked about last week. You know, we were we were worshiping. You know, we were still gathering together just in spirit, and it was different, but it, I don't know about you, but it wasn't any less powerful for me. I thought it would be different for me teaching and all of those kinds of things to, a, you know, an empty place. It wasn't empty. The Lord was here. And so, you know, I don't know what your homes were like. I don't know what your living room was like, but I hope that it was your sanctuary, and I hope it still is your sanctuary. I hope that as you walk into your home now, you're like, whoa, this is a different place. This is, this is the Lord's house. It always has been. And so I'm, I'm just encouraged that we can do this. Now, I don't know if you guys are keeping up with the news and, and all of that on what's going on regarding, I, I don't suggest watching the news, but if you do, then you, you might know some things going on. There's, a, there's quite a bit of um, issue going on right now relating to the church and, and this, the coronavirus, the social distancing thing and all of that. And, and um, there is a... A Calvary Chapel in in uh, Bangor, Maine. Who uh, the pastor there? His name is Ken Graves. He's he's actually been congregating against the governor's rules there, and and um, you know so the, we're we're heading into some different waters here as you know the church related to the the culture that we live in, and it's just so interesting that we're in Daniel because he was heading into those kind of waters as well, and uh, you know I I don't know if uh, you know the church has certainly been here in various different places in the world and, and somewhat here in America, but we are definitely headed in a different direction as it relates to the church and how we worship and all of that. And the, the reason why I bring it up is because, you know, as Christians, we have to make, we have to make a decision. You know, th there comes a point where, you know, of course, we want to honor uh, the governing authorities. That's biblical. Like the Bible says in Romans chapter 13, all authority is from God. So all the authorities that, whether they're evil or not evil, they're from the Lord. He's the one that institutes people in their places, and he is sovereign over all of that. But um, all authority is from God. The position is from God. Now, the evilness necessarily, that's not necessarily from God, but but the position is, and so we're called to honor the position. So that means if you're in a home with a, a mother and a father, maybe that aren't honoring God, and you're a kid, guess what? You still honor your father and your mother. Why? You honor the position. So there's no difference in that relating to the government. How do we as Christians relate to the governing authorities over us? You know, we honor the position because it's from God. But, but here's the deal is that I've, I'm, 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 I'm throwing this out here because I think that there's two reasons. Number one, I think that um, there's going to come a time where you're going to have to make a decision on what it is that you're going to do personally and how you're going to worship the Lord. And, and listen, uh, you know, I, I, I think it would behoove all of us to be praying right now, Lord, how would you, know, how would you have me respond to uh, the, the things that are going on in our world today? Um, and, um, you know, I, I know it's really easy for us to get on Facebook and vent, um, but that's not a good witness, man. And so, you know, I, I think what we need to do is we need to be praying and we need to be asking the Lord, how, um, how am I going to respond to this, Lord? What does your word say? And then secondly, you know, how do I minister in this culture, right? I think some of us are so focused on our rights that we forget about our mission, Right? Um, if God takes your rights away, if, it, if, if he allows the rights to be taken away, you still are on mission. You realize that? Like the mission didn't leave. Like he, he didn't say, oh, okay, well, <laughs> I didn't realize you were going to be in prison, Paul. So don't write the 13 books of the New Testament, right? No, he stayed on mission even though his rights were taken away. And so I think we as a church have to decide, um, you know, hey, where do I fit in the puzzle here? And how do I respond to the things going on? And uh, we talked a little bit about it last week that we can get angry and we can just rant or we can go the other way and we can become so 
distant and just, just checked out that we just say, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, w- w- neither one of those are biblical responses. And so the biblical response is we, we need to be focused on the Lord, focused on the mission that he's given us. And, you know, honestly, the Lord will put people in the places they need to be. I don't think that, um, so for me to sit home and worry about and, you know, I, there's a fine line here. You can see I'm dancing around. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But here's the deal is that if I sit at home and I'm so focused on the horizontal that I'm not doing anything for the vertical, then I'm missing the point completely, right? If I'm getting on Facebook telling people like, we got to stand up, we got to do this and that, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. For me, I know what I'm called to. I'm called to teach the Bible. I'm called to go out and make disciples. I'm called to, uh, you know, to, to this specific thing that I'm called to do. And if I get off track on that, then I'm, go- I'm, gonna be, I'm not going to be where God wants me to be. And all I'm saying is, is that this is a time, listen, the, the time for us to go through the motions is over, folks. It, it's time for us right now to get engaged, to focus on the Lord, and ask the Lord personally, what are you doing in my life, God? This is going to look very different for all of us. It, 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 this could look really, really different for every single one of us individually in how we choose to move forward. You know, here's the thing is, I'm going to gather regardless. How I gather may be different. It may, di- be, may vary, right? But I'm still going to do that. I'm still going to teach the Bible. I'm still going to do these things no matter what. Right? These are essentially the lines that have to be drawn. And... Uh, you know, I want to encourage you to begin to pray right now. If you haven't been, if maybe you have been. Maybe you've been, you know, you know exactly where, what you're called to do. But listen, do not, do not just go with the crowd. Do not just go, well, this is what everybody else is doing, so this is what I'm going to do. God made you an individual. The Bible says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made, that he crafted and, and composed you specifically for good works. So what am I supposed to be doing, Lord? Maybe you're already doing it. I just want to encourage you to do not get sucked in and get off mission. Do not, it's so tempting, I know, but do not get sucked into things that ultimately, let me tell you something, matter zero in eternity. They matter zero in eternity. Like that's not going to contribute at all to whether or not people go to heaven or hell, whether I have rights to do what I'm doing or not, right? So, so what I want to do is I want to stand firm in what God is calling me to do. And every one of us has a responsibility to go before the Lord and say, what is that for me, Lord? Because all of us are, have unique plans and we're, God has created us to do different things. So I want to encourage you, man, get before the Lord. These, this, this is like... Uh, people have been saying, this is an unprecedented time, Lord. It's, it is just, it's just completely and totally unlike anything that I've ever seen, probably anything that you've ever seen. Um, although these trials come and go, and the Lord's seen this before. It's the same ploy. It's just packaged a little differently. The enemy is trying to rip away at the work that God is doing, and we just have a responsibility to be faithful. We know he'll do his part, Right? He'll be faithful to us. You know, it's just, it, and I really, really firmly believe that's why we're in the book of Daniel. We're in the book of Daniel because uh, he faced some challenges like I think we're going to face. He faced some situations where he was taken out of, all his rights were taken away. He was put into a place where he was forced to be in a culture that totally was contrary to who he was how he lived, and yet he successfully navigated through that in a way for nearly 70 years, and he was faithful to the Lord, and you know, um, we'll see in our text today, it says that Daniel was all, was in all the way, he, he, he was until the first year of King Cyrus, and we know that Cyrus is, was one of the people that God used to bring the people back into Israel back into Judah. And so, you know, what I'm telling you is that if we, if we lose sight of the mission, then we will not be like Daniel. We won't be able to be like Daniel 
because our focus will not be on the Lord, it will be on the horizontal. And that's what we need to really be focused on. If you have a Bible, why don't you grab it, open up with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. And uh, we're continuing second week into our, our, our new series called Counterculture. And uh, as I said, Daniel, Shadrach, or actually Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the Jews that from Judah were transported, with, along with a whole bunch of other people, back uh, to, to Babylon, carried away into exile. And interesting enough, I, I think it's really important that we understand these guys were about, f they say, 14 to 17 years old. 14 to 17-year-olds. So I want you to, like, put your, put your mentality into that mind frame when you were <laughs> 14 to 17 years old and you're being carried away into a culture that is going after everything but God. And I want you to think about how you would have responded in that moment. Because what we see here is, is incredible, and, and parents, listen up. There's a huge lesson in what we find in this, this first chapter in the book of Daniel relating to laying a biblical foundation for your children. Because that's where this comes from, folks. 14 years old, 14 to 17 years old, he's going into a culture that is running as hard and as fast away from God as they can, worshiping all kinds of other things. And yet he's faithful to do that. He's faithful to remain faithful to the Lord and walk through these things. Now, um, it, it's interesting because there's a parallel with Daniel, I, and I believe us, because we know that there's a Babylon coming, right? We know there's a Babylon coming, and there's a whole different culture coming that isn't present today, but is kind of present. The spirit of the, of the culture is present today. Um, and, and so what, what we have to be reminded of, like Daniel, is we're not of this culture, meaning we're not of this world, the Bible says. So Daniel wasn't of the Babylonian culture. He was a foreigner in a land that he didn't belong to. And I don't know if you've forgotten, but this isn't your home. This isn't your culture. Uh, this isn't your world. And in fact, the Bible makes it really plain whose world this is. And why does it shock us when we see the things we see? If, in fact, we are from a different world, we're called to live in this world, but we are not of this world. And, and, and Daniel never forgot that. He understood who he was and, and how he navigated through life in Babylon. Was he, was a, he was an ambassador of his culture in the culture that he was living in. You see, you and I, when we came to Christ, we were of this culture at one point. We were of the world. And we were living like everybody else lived. We were doing the very same things that everybody else did. But when we got saved, you, you know, when you, when you there, there's a point in which you say, Jesus, you are my Lord. Now, the lordship of Jesus Christ means that you have denounced your citizenship of this world and you've said, hey, I want to be a citizen in your, in your kingdom, Lord, so you become my Lord. And, and guess what? He's, he he loved to oblige you when you come to him and ask him, Lord, will you be, Jesus, will you be my Lord? Of course I will. That's why I came. That's why I hung on the cross. That's why I did these things. Because I want to transform you so that you're not like the culture in which you're living in. And so there's a supernatural thing that takes place within us, and we are born again. Like our, our insides change. The, the way that we see the world changes. There's a, there's a worldview. It's flipped, up, flipped right side up is what I like to say, but it's completely contrary to what we see. And so the Lord then tells you this. Listen, you're not of the world, but you're in the world, and I'm sending you in the world to be a representation, to be an ambassador of me. So... You've been given a mission right away. Like Jesus doesn't wait until he feels like you have a pretty good uh, biblical handle on, you know, um, the, the various different doctrines. Like he just says, no, you're just, <laughs> you're just in my army now. And you're called to go out and make disciples and do these things. Right? You're called to live contrary to the culture in, in, in specific ways. But, but here's what happens sometimes, and I think Christians are so weird about this. So sometimes we're so, 
we, we, we're so not of this world that we're completely and totally ineffective. People are like, whoa, who's that person? You know, and I can think of groups, subgroups of people that are, that are like that. And when people see them in this world, they go, man, who are those people? Not because they're living their lives in such a way. It's just the way that they appear. It's their appearance, you know. And, and so you, you think like, um, I, I'm not judging anyone. I'm just saying that um, we're not of the world, but if we're so uh, contrary to the world that but we, we, people can't connect with us, the thing about Jesus was he was relatable. So there's somewhat of that that we need to be relatable to people. And, um, you know, Jesus was a relatable to those that he was around. He, when he stepped into the world, folks, people knew something was different about him. But let me tell you something. I promise you, he looked just like everybody else. And in fact, the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 55, he had no comeliness. Like, people weren't walking around. They would have walked right past him if he didn't have, you know, 10,000 people following him. He wasn't anything to look at that much. But he did, he did fit into the culture to a degree in terms of he wasn't so abnormal that people couldn't relate to him. But he did not. He did not dive into the culture in a way that everybody would say, oh, man, you're just like us. There was something different about Jesus, and there's supposed to be something different about you. There's supposed to be something, it, something about you that people look at and say, what in the world is going on with that person? Why do they respond the way they respond? Why do they do the things they do? Why do they smile all the time? Why do they, why do, they do these things, these different things where it's the joy of the Lord coming out of you? There should be some distinctions in our lives. Why? Because we're not of this world. Listen, I promise you, for most of us, we would, we would, we would say we can't wait for heaven, right? Because we understand the culture in heaven is totally different than this culture. There's no more struggle for us to, to do the right things and all, all of that kind of stuff. We're not going to be struggling with that. But, but here's what I'm telling you is you can experience that here to a degree. You know, how far do you want to go with the Lord? Because he'll take you as far as you want to go. That, that becomes the question. Like, where is my line? Where is my line? Daniel had a distinct line when he went into, when he went into Babylon, and we need to have a distinct line as we live in this culture. So stand with me, and we're going to read the, our verses this morning. We got to um, verse kind of eight last week, and eight kind of translates for the, through the rest of the chapter. So we're going to pick it up at verse eight. And uh, the first seven verses, you can see it's them being carried away into Babylon, and, and, and I'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's pick it up in verse eight, Daniel chapter one, verse eight. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow to allow him not to defile himself. And he gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who, who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let, us, let, let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and, re and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the stewards took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and, and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought into the chief of the eunuchs, brought them should be brought in. The chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. 
And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that, God, you would speak to our hearts individually today, Lord. We're all in different places, and um, we just ask you to, to just uh, make your, uh, your word effective in our own hearts this morning, Lord. I pray you'd get me out of the way, that your Holy Spirit would just speak, Lord, clearly through this pulpit, dividing this word correctly, Lord, that, uh, that we would hear your words in the correct manner this morning, Lord. And may we not only hear them, but may we be willing to receive them this morning. So soften our heart, Lord. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So the, the overarching theme of the book of Daniel is the sovereignty of God, that God is in control and that he's in control of all things. And, and it's also the providence of God that he provides how he sees fit, however he decides to do that. And it's evident in the fact that we see in the very second, you know, I guess it's the first and second verses of Daniel chapter 1 where it says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Remember, we talked about this last week. It was the Lord that gave them over into his hand. See, the reality is, is that God had told them, that the children of Israel, he had told them all, you're going to be carried away into captivity um, not just because I, not because I think that's healthy for you and I want you to suffer a little bit. That wasn't the reason. The reason why was because they were in sin. So they had been offering their children, we talked about this, to the Canaanite god Molech, and they were burning their babies in the hands of this, this god, and, and they were sacrificing them, and all these kinds of things. It was a, a, a terrible thing. They were giving themselves over into sexual immorality. And uh, we talk about the parallel of how that is so prevalent in our culture today where we are killing, you know, 50 million babies in America and, and it, or 50 million, I think, 50 to 60 million babies a year. It's crazy. Um, and how sexual morality has ran, ran rampant in our world today. And, and so it, it says that God gave them over. This was the Lord's doing. This wasn't because Bible, or, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was all-powerful and all these sorts of things, but the Lord gave them over. The Lord could have easily withstood Nebuchadnezzar there. He could have easily overtaken him, but he, but he allowed this for his purpose. And then not only that, but then what he did was interesting enough is, sure, he was going to chastise his children for their sin, but he was also, here, here's the thing, sending missionaries into Babylon. He had missionaries that were going into Babylon that were going to affect the culture of Babylon and eventually turn that culture into a culture that would, um, to, to some degree, at least in the king's courts, fear God. So you can kind of see God's hand at work and what he's doing. And here's the thing is, he sent his children into exile. He sent them into captivity for the purpose of chastisement, but he would be faithful to them all the way through. And all he's looking for, here's the thing, is he said, if you, if you repent, if you turn your heart towards me, if you will call out to me and turn from your sin, I will, and with all your heart, then I will turn, I will turn back towards you. And so when the children of Israel got to the place where they were repentant, the Lord said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a work. And, and you can see how the Lord works through that. He wants our heart, guys. He wants our heart. He's, and our heart, our actions follow our heart. But he's first and fo foremost interested in our heart. He's interested in where our heart is centered. Like we can go through the motions on the outside, but he wants to capture the heart because he knows that the heart in and of itself, if he has the heart, then he controls everything. So he wants you. He wants your heart. And if he has your heart, then he'll have your obedience. If he has your heart, then he, then he will have, uh, you know, your allegiance. He wants your heart. And so these four men, along with Ezekiel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and a whole bunch of other people that God had sent into Babylon as missionaries, right, sent them in, he was going to use them in a way 
and uh, he was going to use them in a mighty way. But the, the reality is, is that they had to uh, stay faithful to the Lord. They couldn't get sucked into the culture. And we talked about the, the, the title of my sermon last week was Bloom Where You're Planted. Hey, you, listen, there's people, you ever, you ever ask yourself this question, like, why did God have me be born in this place at this time, um, you know, in this, in this culture? Why didn't he, why didn't he, why wasn't I born in, like, the bush somewhere in, you know, New, Papua New Guinea, or, or what, why am I where I'm at? What, you ever ask that? You ever sit there and think about that? Listen, because he put you there. Do you know that? Some of us are, are sad that we were put into the family we were put in. But you know that was God's doing. He put you in that family for a reason. It might have been a horrible situation and, and things might have horribly happened. It may have been a great situation. you know. Um, but here's the reality is, is that God placed you there for a reason. He has given you the, you know, a lot of us are like, man, I can't wait to get to heaven so I can like slim up and, you know, do these kind of things. Listen, God gave you your body type. Now, you're, you're in control of what you do with it, of course. But some of us are never going to have, you know, six-pack abs and long hair and all these kind of things because that's not the genetics we were given. Who gave you those genetics? The Lord did. Why am I saying this? Because these are the very things that caused Daniel um, and, and, and these guys to be where they were. It was because of their families that they were put into. It was because of their appearances, because of who they were. How did they become who they were? They had no control over these things. It was the Lord that did these things. And so the Lord had been planning for Daniel and these guys to be missionaries in the world. And he was going to send them in there. And so what I want to relate that to you is that you are God's missionary here now. He's planted you where you are. He's moved you around maybe, but, but the reality is that you are where you are because the Lord uh, wants you to be here. Now, so how do we, how do we um, you know, successfully navigate in the culture? We talk, I talked about briefly in a, a moment ago about how you know, so, some people are so not of this world that they're completely ineffective in this world, right? So where's the balance? I want to tell you a little story about a missionary named Hudson Taylor. And uh, Hudson Taylor is one of my heroes, and I mentioned him a couple weeks ago. If you've never read his book, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, I would encourage you to read it. It is, you want to talk about somebody who depended on God for everything, who, who understood the sovereignty of God, and who would depend on God for uh, the littlest things, training himself to be dependent on God. These were, these were little tests that he would give himself to make sure that he was depending on God and not on himself. He knew that he couldn't be the, 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 the missionary that would go into inland China and, and you know, spread the gospel without, without completely and totally surrendering to God and knowing that, listen, I'm going to be over in the 1800s, inland China. Um, you're not going to be making phone calls to the embassy, right? I mean, if something happens, you're in big trouble. So he's trusting the Lord, and it's just so amazing. But, but he, when he got to Shanghai... And uh, he, he was there uh, with a group and stuff. And there, were, there had already been some missions work going on on the, um, the exterior of China, but no one had gone really inland. And uh, so he was preparing. He's like, I, I, I want to get into Shanghai, and I want to just see how the people are and all this kind of stuff. He was sent there by God. And so he gets there, and he spends some time in Shanghai, and, and he's recognizing, like, people are just really standoffish towards me. Like, they're just not, they're, they're like, like, no matter where I go, I, I feel like I'm off-putting to people. Maybe it's because I'm white. Maybe it's because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little bit different looking than these people. So he started, you know, to, to, to pray about these things. And, and what he noticed was that his clothing was a problem. What he realized is that the people in, um, in China thought that his his clothing, his appearance. He said, my attire was, in, uh, uh, was undignified in the culture, comical to the people, and a distraction to the gospel. His clothing. So, Hudson Taylor prays. He says, Lord, what would you have me do? Oh, I want you to become like them. Wait, like Jesus did? 
You want me to become like them? Yes. So Hudson Taylor goes to a tailor, and um, he's, he gets a, some garments made and all of this stuff. But here's the problem. In this culture, you can't just wear the clothes. You have to have the haircut, too. And the haircut was gnarly, man. It was the bowl, you know, they shaved all the top of the head off, and they, they just basically, you had this one piece of hair right here, and they would pull it in a ponytail. So you hear the, the big white dude that gets his head shaved, and he pulls it into, no, no other European missionary would do this. No other, you, listen, they are indignant towards the people because of what they're, they're wearing. They're, they're a comical act as they stand out before this culture because of their clothing and their dress, and no one's going to change that? I, I thought I was on mission for the Lord. What can I do? So he said, I'll be like them. And guess what? He said, he said this. He said, after I went to the barber and got my hair cut the next morning, I stepped out onto the streets of Shanghai like a Chinaman. I was met with a surprising openness that wasn't there before. I was invited to people's homes, never been invited before. I was able to spend and have deep conversations with people. Listen, everything changed because he was willing to change. And, and what I want you to hear is that we are not of the world, but there are some, some changes that we can make that will make us more effective in the world, folks. And then there are changes that we just can't make. Like Hudson Taylor didn't become exactly like a Chinaman in every way, shape, and form. He wasn't, you know, worshiping their God and, and all of those sorts of things. He didn't, he didn't do any of those things or, or become atheist or whatever it is that they were doing back in the 1800s, <laughs> worshiping the emperor, um, you know, but, but the reality is, is he became like them on the outside, but he never changed inside. And that's the picture of Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. They changed on the outside. Remember? Last week, they said that they were, they, were, uh, they were supposed to learn the literature of the Babylonians, and, they were, and then they changed their names. So there was changes that had to be made, and we see that they didn't balk about those things. Hudson Taylor said, hey, man, I'm going to go ahead and, and be like this culture so that I can reach this culture. So the, the, the principle is that there are things that we can change that will make us more effective. Paul said this. Paul said this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. He said, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I myself, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. What Paul is saying is that for you and I, just like for Daniel and for anybody who represents the Lord, there are certain things that we do to become more effective for the gospel. But there are certain things that we will not do. Paul never crossed the line. Jesus never crossed the line. Daniel, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, Azariah, they never crossed the line. And by the way, remember those names, not the Babylonian names. Remember their Jewish names. I'm making myself do that. Because I like that. I think it's better. It's not the world's names. But anyway, uh, so they were sent as missionaries. You're sent as a missionary. Now, where do we draw the line and how do we draw the line? We can learn that through the life of Daniel here. He was put in a culture and he was supposed to learn the literature and he was supposed to be okay with his name being changed. And he said, that's fine. But listen to verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile him." Self with the king's food or with the wine he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. 
as we, uh, you know, basically Daniel came to a point in this culture where he said, okay, this is, this is where I draw the line. I, I, I'm, I'm okay with the literature. I'm okay with learning the literature. I'm okay with, with the name change, but this is where I draw the line. When, when you're asking me to eat of the king's food and drink of the king's wine, you see, for Daniel, it's a matter of defilement. It's a matter of defilement. He, he's looking at this like, hey, if I do this, it will interrupt my relationship with God. What I want you to hear is, is the, the, the definitive that Daniel uses to draw the line. It's not his feelings. It's not how he feels about something. It's not how he, um, you know, it's not what he likes in the culture and what he doesn't like in the culture. His definitive is the word of God. So where do, I, where do I draw the line when it comes to my culture and how I reach my culture and how I work in my culture? It, the definitive for us is the same as it was for Daniel. Where we draw the line is at the word of God. The word of God then becomes the mandate for us. This is as far as I will go. And I will still remain loving to these people, but this is my line. Daniel said, listen, if I eat of the food of this king who's, you know, the reason why is because it was against the word of God. You can read the book of Leviticus and you can read the, about the dietary laws there. Number one, if this meat wasn't bled properly, it would be a defilement. If there was blood in the meat, there would be a defilement. Um, of course, these guys didn't care about that. They didn't, they didn't have the same standards of preparation. There was a defilement. Not only that, but they were eating things that were a defilement in and of themselves. They were eating pork. They were eating crustaceans, you know, from the, from the sea and all of that stuff, you know. Praise God that swine is divine today and also that we can eat lobster and crab. I'm, I'm thanking the Lord for that freedom. But, but, but Daniel had no choice in the matter, man. He's like, man, we can't eat that. It, this is a defilement issue for us. And not only that, but also... Uh, the, the wine. Now, now wine is, there's no biblical, uh, they, they, it wasn't against God's law for them to drink wine. They drank wine. In fact, in the, in the, in the Psalms, it talks about, the, about, about joy being associated with wine and all of these kinds of things. And of course, we can get into, well, what was it, diluted wine or this or that or whatever. Listen, I don't know. Well, all I'm telling you is that that wasn't the reason why. He's not, drink, not drinking wine because it's wine. He's not drinking wine because these, this wine and this meat was offered to idols. And that's what made it a defilement for him. So he said, listen, I, I'm going to draw the line at the word of God, and I'm not going to allow myself to go over that line no matter what. That's what he said. It says here that Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Now, we can include the other three dudes with him because they were in the same headspace as Daniel. They were like, no, we're not doing this. But, but we're, we're following Daniel's story. So Daniel resolved not to do this. It means that he made up his mind. He made up his mind. And how did he make up his mind? With the word of God. It's not a secret what God wants you to do. It's not a secret where the line is. He's told us where the line is. What, what, what we have to do is make up our mind. We have to decide, I will not go across this line because this is the Lord's line. Not in a legalistic way. We're not trying to get favor from God to do that, although we will see that he gets favor because he did do this. But that isn't the point. The point, the reason why we draw the line and we don't cross the line is because we are in relationship with God. Daniel understood that. He was in relationship with God. Who would have blamed the kid? Listen, put me in Babylon at 14 years old and watch me go hog wild, right? Maybe you're the same. Why? I didn't have the same foundation as Daniel. I, wasn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't have biblical principles to hold on to when I was, when I was 14 years old and I was, you know, caravanting into the world or in Billings, Montana. Not the same, but kind of Babylon, but not exactly. But Daniel did. Daniel had the foundation. And that's what made him say, no, I'm not going to do it. Listen, mom and dad, the investment in 
teaching your kids the word of God, it, you might think like, man, it's, it's so hard, it's, you know, but listen, that foundation, that foundation, you don't understand what that foundation will do to them when they're away from you doing whatever it is that they're doing. And it's that foundation of the word of God that keeps, listen, my, my kids, my kids have this foundation and they're not perfect. And guess what? Daniel wasn't perfect. We don't get to read what his sins are. In fact, you know that it's only Daniel and Joseph that there's no, nothing mentioned in the Bible about, what, what they, about their sin. But you know they're sinners, right? Because we're all sinners, the Bible says. But, but here's the deal is that uh, the mistakes they made or whatever the case might be, they had a foundation that they held on to. My kids have a foundation. They're not going to do this perfectly. And if you have an expectation that your kids will perfectly walk out the, the biblical foundation that you've given them and you feel like a failure because they haven't, that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to teach them. Your responsibility is to give them that foundation. Then it's their responsibility. Daniel purposed in his heart, not his mom and dad. Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile him. He had the information. It's important that we give our kids the information so that they have the foundation. But I love that about this. What a, what a picture of parenting and laying that biblical foundation for your kids. And, and so, uh, you know, it, Daniel said, I, I'm going to purpose in my heart not to defile the Lord because I care about the Lord. I'm in relationship with God. And I'm not going to do that. He drew the line when it came to defilement. Now, let me just say that we have a, we, we are, in our culture today, we're questioning what is defilement and what isn't. I, I'm just saying it's sort of ridiculous. When we look at the Word of God and it says something and then we're trying to debate whether, what it really says, right? Does it really say that? I don't know. No, you want to create a God in your own image. And so you, you don't want to do certain things the Bible says. And, 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 and here's the reality is that that's what's going on in our culture today. And that's not pleasing to God. Because you know what's under attack? His word. His word is under attack. That, that's, the, that's the entire undercurrent of the enemy from day one in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? And it's going to be a continual thing. Listen, we're trying to figure out if homosexuality is a sin. It's a sin. It's a sin, folks. We're trying to figure out if sex before marriage is a sin. It's a sin. The Bible says it's a sin. Sexual morality. We're trying to figure out in our culture, well, that's an ancient book. We're not sure if that really what it means. Listen, this book doesn't change. This, this transcends time and space, man. This is, this is kingdom culture at work in a world that is trying to, you know, trying to be okay with God but not obey his word. And change his word. Let me give you one that I think that we can all, we can all relate to. Here's a big controversial one. Listen to the word. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt, corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may uh, give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Now, to me, that means a whole bunch of things, but it includes a whole bunch of things. It includes gossip. It includes evil, evil talk. It includes sexual innuendos. It includes cussing. I don't know. Does the Bible really say I shouldn't cuss? Let no corrupting words come out of your mouth. Well, is that really? Well, I'm just expressing myself. I don't really see that that way. I don't care how you see it. Here's the thing. Here's the litmus test. Would you say it in front of Jesus? Well, yeah. No, you wouldn't. Give me a break. You would not say it in front of Jesus. If you Listen, you would not say these things in front of Jesus. Why do you shield your children's ears? And you'd say it in front of Jesus, but you'd shield your children's ears? Why don't you let your children say it? Hey, they're just expressing themselves. Listen, that's the most ridiculous argument I've ever heard. I'm just expressing myself. And and here's the funny thing is Christians do this. They, they say they're Christians. But they, they've taken 
the word and they're saying, I'm not sure if that's really what it means. Well, how about the idea that you take the high road and that you don't use words that could even remotely come close to what corrupting talk is? Why did I pick that one? Because I know. Because I know it's a struggle. And I know that people have an issue with it. And that's the kind of person I am. <laughs> Here's the thing. What, what, now, now he, so, so we, we shouldn't do that. But, but what about the culture? The culture is like that, right? The culture is like that. So, so I'm around people that cuss all the time. You know, and, and so how do we respond to that? Because we're in this culture. My wife, she's a, like a sailor. No, I'm just kidding. She's not, but... I was like, wait a second, not all the time, it's, it's just a saying, but I'm around people at times that cuss, and, and so, like, that doesn't offend me, right? There's certain things that probably, if they said, would offend me, like, but it's not about me being offended. Here's my point, is that if I'm around somebody who is not of, who is of this world, and I'm not of this world, I'm in their culture, they're not in my culture, Right? It's different if it's happening on church grounds. That's different. That's, this is my culture. This is kingdom culture. But we're going in the world, so there's worldly things that are going to happen. And what's interesting is that you talk to people and they start, you know, they're like blankety blank, you know, da, 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 blankety blank. Oh, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. And all of a sudden, you see this total transformation before your eyes. And, and it doesn't, honestly, it doesn't matter what it is. As soon as you say, I'm a Christian or I'm a pastor or anything like that, you see, you see all of a sudden there's this like, oh, I got to be prim and proper and kind of thing. I'm like, dude, I'm not prim and proper. But, but here's the thing is, and I always tell guys this. I go, listen, listen. Oh, I'm sorry, pastor. I didn't mean to, you know, let this stuff come out of my mouth. I go, dude, don't apologize to me. I'm not the person you answer to. Who am I? I'm nobody. Like, I mean, I'm not offended by what you're saying because you don't answer to me. You answer to the Lord. If you're sorry about that, tell the Lord because he's with you all the time. And so I get an opportunity to talk to them about that, not, not looking at it like it's offensive to me, but it's offensive to God. And that's how we draw the line is what is offensive to God, not as offensive to me. And, and so when we go into the world, we have to understand that there's going to be offensive things that happen, but we have to still relate and reach people and uh, Daniel, for whatever reason, he was able to do that. He had drawn the line in the sand. There was no way he was going to allow he, himself to go down this line. But listen to what he said. Then he asked the chief of eunuchs to allow him to not defile himself. He said, man, hey, uh, can you help me out here? I, I'm in a dilemma, and this is my situation, is I can't do this. So... So, so check this out. Here's his response. And this is God's divine response to Daniel also. Verse 9, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So here's, here's what it says. Daniel asked. He was, he was gracious and gentle in his convictions, but his convictions were his convictions. He had drawn the line in the sand. He was, going, he was willing to put his head on the chopping block for this, folks. But look how he responded to it. It's awesome. I mean, it's great that he stood for the what, but how he stood for the what is super important to God. And because he stood for the what the way that he did, it says here, that God gave Daniel favor and compassion in his sight. Now, does that mean he got what he wanted? No. And in fact, this eunuch, it says, he says, dude, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you're, you're, you, I'm going to have to put myself on the line for this. I'm going to put myself before my king. You see the conversation that's happening here? Well, I'm before my king, and he says I can't do this, but I understand you're before your king. And I understand that you will, you will answer for what you do as well. And, and so there's this, there's, this, there's this thing going on here with Daniel and this eunuch, but it's God in the middle of it. It says God gave him uh, favor and compassion. So what does that mean? He didn't get what he wanted. Here's what I think. This is conjecture. I think that, I think that when the eunuch went back to the, 
to the post where the where he's telling his servants, you know, what's going to happen and all these kind of things. Dude, that Daniel, I like that guy. He's a good guy. You know, him and that Hananiah and Michelle and Azariah, those are, those are good dudes over there, man. So just take care of those guys, you know, but, um, you know, and whatever. And, and, and God, had, God had given Daniel favor in the chief eunuch's eyes. This is my imagination, but, but, but something like that happened. So, so we had the favor of God. It's interesting that um, when we do what's right, the, the God says even our enemies will live at peace with us. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. When you resolve to not defile yourself in a way, you gain the favor of God, and, and he, he blesses you as a result of your obedience. Listen, as Panaz, he didn't, he's the chief eunuch. He didn't owe these guys anything. They were his servants. And yet, because God was in the midst and God was working on his heart, he had compassion on, on Daniel and these, and these other fellas. So who, who, are the, who are we to trust? Are we going to try and convince man with our own words? Or are we going to trust the Lord? with your boss or whoever it is that you're standing before and you're trying to get some favor and compassion, you know, trying to help them understand who you are as a believer. You draw your line in the sand, but you do it, you respond in a gentle and a, in a graceful way, and you allow the Lord to do what he's going to do. God is in the midst of this so thick that, I, I mean, I think Daniel can see it. I think they can see it, but I can see it from a third party. That it's God in the midst of all of this at work. He's in the midst of your life the same way. He's doing the exact same things. He, he doesn't change. So, so after Daniel determined that he wasn't going to do that, and he, he, he drew, drew the line, and he, he wasn't able to do that, uh, the, the chief eunuch said, no, I'm not going to put my neck on the line. Look, look what it says in verse 11. Daniel never gave up. Then Daniel said to the steward who the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let, it, let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and, and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh then all the other youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away the food and the wine, and they were uh, to drink and gave them vegetables. Here, here's the interesting thing. Daniel didn't give up on the idea that he had had this resolve that he wasn't going to defile himself. Do you see the manner, though, in which he continues? The manner in which he continues to express who he is in the culture that he's living in is so gentle and so gracious that, but he doesn't give up. Like, like he's not saying, I have rights here and I should be doing, you should be doing these things for me because I'm a kid of the kingdom and, you know, you should be serving me. I'm a Christian, you know, and you should be doing these things. Listen, we live in their culture. You're an ambassador of Christ in somebody else's land. And so you have to be careful about how you represent Jesus. <laughs> Daniel's doing an amazing job here. His line's in the sand. He will go to the grave for this issue. But at the same token, he's saying, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to trust the Lord. But trusting the Lord does not mean doing nothing. And so I don't know what he did. I don't know if he went back and prayed. Daniel was a praying man, so I assume that he went back and prayed and the, and the Lord put it on his heart to go talk to the, to the servant. Whatever the case may be, Daniel not only went and asked, but he brought a solution too. You, you believe that? He's like, hey, I got an idea. Just hear me out. Like, what if we do this? What if, what if you, we give you 10 days and you look at us in 10 days and if we look sick then you know what, then, well, I'm not going to tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably die, but, but you don't know that yet, but uh, let, just give us 10 days. He's putting his trust in the Lord, but at the same token, he's, he's, he's the mouthpiece, he's there. He's not saying all we can do is pray, guys. 
Listen, he does pray. I'm, I believe that. I'm firmly believe that he's praying. But at the same token, he's doing doing. He's also utilizing his mouth, and he's also utilizing the gifting that God has given him. Whether the Lord orchestrated him or not, I don't know. But what I do know is that he's he's not given up, and that he's continues to go on in this situation. And so, you know, why in the world does this servant go? Okay. The chief eunuch said, no way. And this guy's a lower on the totem pole, and he's like, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, let's do that. That's God. That's the Lord. And so they do this, this test, and interesting enough, I, I was a vegetarian for, for a period of time, and um, I didn't get fatter, but they did. So, you know, there you go. You want to get a little fatter? Then become vegetarian. That's the way it is. You know, they, you, can, you can eat all the carbs in the world you want, and uh, it'll be awesome. But, but, but it ended up being that they, they took on this challenge, and the Lord um, was with them, and he watched them, and they ate, and, and dude, listen, what happened? This is the point. They changed their culture. They didn't just get what they want. You understand that? They changed the culture they changed the culture, not by burning buildings down and by raising picket signs. They changed the culture by maintaining their relationship with the Lord, trusting the Lord, and being determined in the line that was drawn. How amazing is this? They changed the culture. And, and they did it simply by, by saying, hey, put us on a trial and let's, let's see how it works. Then <laughs> I'm sure they were the, the fan favorites at the, uh, the next meal there when uh, all the other kids were coming in, what? Vegetables and water? What is all this, man? You know, where's the barbecue at? Well, you're not getting that anymore. It's amazing that they were able to change the culture uh, in, in the manner that they did. Here's what I'm saying is, it's the love of Christ that will change this culture. It's the love of Christ that will change this culture. And um, it's when Christians are living in the right manner and reacting in the right ways that we see culture change. And, you know, that's, that's our responsibility. That's on us. That's on us to do that. Daniel said, I'm not going to change for this culture, but I'm also not going to demand this culture to be like me. And I see Christians doing that all the time. You know, um, FYI, if you're upset because YouTube censors certain things, guess what? It's their platform. They can do what they want. They pay for it. Do you pay for it? And we're angry. Where's my rights? How come I can't watch this? There's freedom of speech. It's their platform. They can do what they want. But, but you're going to come into their platform and tell them what they can do and what they can do? That's ridiculous. Listen, as a Christian, we can't come into a world that we're not of and start to demand people to be like us. They're not going to be like us. And it shouldn't surprise us when they're not. What do we do? We live our lives in a way that honors God we trust the Lord, and we do exactly what he tells us to do. We stay on mission for the Lord. That's what we're called to do, man. Um, as a result of all this, listen, God blesses the socks off of Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. Verse 17, as the, for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, so three years is up, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of, the, of King Cyrus. So, so because of the determination and because of the, the, the stance, uh, the, the purposing in, the, in their hearts of not defiling themselves and making the stance that they did, um, the Lord then gave them supernatural giftings. Supernatural giftings. Some of us are saying, man, I don't know why I don't have supernatural giftings right now. I'm awesome. Like if God would just allow the Holy Spirit to flood through me, you wouldn't believe what I could do. Exactly. That's why that's not happening. Because here's the deal is that it, 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 God is looking for faithful people. Right? He's not looking for people that are going to shine the spotlight on themselves. 
He's looking for people that are going to shine the spotlight on him. And so, so oftentimes we're, we're asking for giftings and all of these kinds of things, and we're not faithful with what we've been given. And, 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 and Daniel and Azariah, they had, the things that they had, they put into practice, and they said, listen, we're going to love the Lord, we're going to do what we can for the Lord, and we're, we're, this is how we're going to live our lives. And then the Lord gave them more. Isn't that a biblical principle? Like you're faithful with little, he who's faithful with middle, little will be given much. And so here's, here's the point. It, you know, any man of God or any woman of God that's ever been used in any kind of significant way, in any kind of a big way, that's of the Lord, by the way, has all, it's, the, the recipe is exactly the same. 100% surrender to the Lord, obedience to God, and then God starts to put his hand upon the person and use them. And, and you know, it, it, it all comes back to, you know, blooming where you're planted, not looking over the hill and saying, how come I don't have that? How come I'm not as wise as that person? How come, I, you know, I wish I had a photographic memory. I wish I could just recall information because that would be kind of helpful for my job. But, but if, I, if I did, listen, if I did, I wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. So the Lord, the Lord is going to leave you in a place where you have to be dependent on him. But he knew these guys, they needed this, these giftings to be able to do their job in Babylon and to stand before the king and be able to do um, the things that they did. And this was like spiritual stuff. Like they were learning Babylonian you know, religion, and they were learning astrology, and they were learning all these kinds of things, and you might think like, oh, that's so secular. Why would God give them the ability to understand those things so he could use them in a way that would honor him? And, and, and so there are people that really understand evolution. There's people that really understand lots of scientific and, and worldly, you know, whatever, not, not necessarily world. God, God is a scientist, but, but un- understand what we would consider, pursue the, um, the, the horizontal education. But God uses those people. Look at Rabbi Zachariah, man. Guy's going through cancer right now, by the way, and I think he's, like, been sent home to die because he's uh, pretty much, um, they, they've done everything they can do. Um, so be praying for him and his family. I don't know what the status is as of today, but I knew that that was a couple days ago. But people like that, God uses. He, he equips, he uses them. Why? Because that's their mission. That's their purpose. He did this with Daniel and these guys so that he could use them in a great way. And Nebuchadnezzar took note, folks. The king of Babylon took note of who these men were, where they came from, and what they were all about. And as the story unfolds, we're going to see the Lord work in, in, in big ways before Nebuchadnezzar, how he continues to reveal himself. And so, listen, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, these guys trusted the Lord and they did what they could do in these moments, but they, they lived in a culture that was totally contrary to what they, wh- wh- where they came from, but there was a line that had to be drawn, but they also, at the same token, lived within that culture and they allowed certain things. They didn't, they didn't raise the flag every time something was changing. They, wanted, they, they allowed God to do whatever God was gonna do to make them effective in that culture. And I would say we can learn a big lesson from Daniel here in terms of how we minister to our culture. It's, it's, it's awesome to have, we have to have a line first and foremost. And the line comes from the word of God. But here's what I want you to hear. How we express that line is so important. It's so important how we express the line that's been drawn and that we don't, we don't over we don't forcefully go into a culture and try and make them like us, right? That's not the way this works. We have to draw our line, and then we have to gently and, and graciously work within this culture and, and, and allow the Lord to do what he's going to do. That, that's my calling. That might not be your calling. Maybe God's calling you to go burn down Planned Parenthoods. I'm pretty sure he's not, but he might be. So... I don't, know, I don't know what your calling is, but for me, I, I believe the, that the, the biblical mandate is to be like Jesus. And, uh, you know, Mike always says this to me. He always says, what, what is it? They don't know how much, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And this is a, this is a true saying. You know, the world needs to know that we love them before they're going to listen to any kind of words that you have to say about the Lord. 
They have to know that you love them. Don't build walls in this culture by the way that you have drawn your line and by the way that you interact with people. Be careful. Be careful because, listen, time's short and uh, the Lord's at work. He's in control. We're trusting in Him, but we have a job to do. So stay on mission. Be like Daniel. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and, and thank you for your, your graciousness to us, Lord, and how you reach us, Lord. How you took us from this world and, and you made us not of this world. You transformed our lives and uh, we just, we thank you for salvation in the name of Jesus, Lord. Father, I just want to pray over my brothers and sisters here today. Lord, we are living in a precarious times, Lord. The, our culture is in some ways, running away, Lord, from what, what, we've, what we've stood for, at least. And yet, what does that mean for us, God? We need your Holy Spirit wisdom. And we don't want to overemphasize or underemphasize anything, Lord. We just want to be your vessels that are used for, used for you to bring glory and honor to you, Lord. So we just pray right now, Lord, that um, you would move in our own personal hearts right now in areas that you know that we need to hear, Father, and that you would um, help us to just be gentle and gracious. And of course, we speak the truth always in love, but Lord, help us to be strategic in, in how we do things. But Lord, give us a resolve like Daniel to not defile ourselves, Lord, to not allow this world to dictate to us what it is that we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to do it, Lord. Let, let it be, come from you and your word and your Holy Spirit. So God, we thank you for today. We ask you to just meet us here now and we just ask you to, as we close out, Lord, that you would do continued work in our hearts and drawing us closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.